0: Let us pray. Lord, as we prepare now to read your holy word, as we allow this word to penetrate our hearts and to move us and to shape us, we ask that you draw our attention to you, that you uh, clear away our our distractions, and that you allow us to just center on the message of your love and your grace that is found here in your word. We ask the blessing, uh, uh, your blessing on the reading of the word and on on what it does for us today. We ask that as we enter this time, that you move on our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you stir something deep within us, and that you draw us into a deeper fellowship with you. Bless this time that we have now in your presence and in the presence of each other. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We are uh, continuing through this this study on the book of Romans, and today we're on this eighth chapter, which to me is is just one of the best chapters in in all of Scripture. Uh, Several series of sermons could probably be uh, written and preached just from this chapter alone, Uh, but but in in trying to to keep it in what we've been talking about, I I just want to remind you uh, what we spoke about uh, the past couple weeks, uh, which is that our our works cannot earn our salvation. Remember, we talked about the gulf. We're all over here, and there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. There's nothing we can do to get over here where God is through our works. But then last week we talked about uh, that if our, if it's our faith that brings us to God, if it's our faith that justifies it, then that faith should inspire works in other words, we, we place our faith in God through Christ Jesus and then we are changed and then we can't help but do these these, uh, these holy works because we are now living and walking uh, in the presence of the Holy Spirit and so that changes the way we behave that changes the way we act and so these, these good works become a part of who we are not because we're trying to do them to earn anything but because uh, God through his grace, Has changed us. And in doing that, what he has done is he has set us free from the flesh. He has set us free from sin and its curse on us. He has set us free from all the the cravings of the flesh that cannot be satisfied. Uh, This this sermon is titled Liberation Theology. I kind of titled it that, um, it's a little tongue in cheek. Uh, liberation theology is actually, uh, if you were to, to ask biblical scholars about it, it's, it's using the gospel message uh, for political purposes. It's used, using the gospel message to stand up against injustice, social injustice, racial oppression, things like that. So whenever you hear the term liberation theology, think Martin Luther King or, or somebody like that. that. That's sort of what liberation theology is. Means, But today I want to talk about a different kind of liberation theology. I want to talk about liberation, the freedom that we have from our old selves, from our lives of sin, the, the freedom from that bondage that we have spent our pre-Jesus lives shackled to, and now we realize that we have freedom, and maybe, maybe we don't always realize that. Maybe we forget that we are free, that we are no longer oppressed. But that's what we're going to talk about today because we recognize that Jesus was God's gift for us, that grace is God's gift for us, and that freedom and liberation is God's gift for us. And like all gifts, we recognize that God is the giver of good things. Uh, I read recently about a, a post office worker who was sorting the mail, and he saw in the mail a letter that was addressed to God. I mean it didn't have an address on it it just said God and he he knew that he wasn't God but he didn't know what what to do with it so he opened it up and read it and the letter inside was written by a uh, single mother who was going through some hard times and it was it was nearly Christmas time and she said God I, I'm going through some really difficult times and Christmas is coming up and if you could somehow just provide me with $200 so that I can keep the electricity on and so that I can give, give my kids something small for Christmas. $200 is all I'm asking for. Well, the postal worker felt moved by this letter, so he went around through the post office uh, talking to his, his colleagues and co-workers and, and asking if, if they could all chip in some money. And, and they raised $180. And they put it in an envelope and they sent it, to the the woman in time for Christmas. Well, a few weeks later, the post office worker found the the envelope, another envelope, written, addressed to God from the same woman. And he opened it up, and the lady said, and then the letter the lady said, God, thank you so much for the money. It made all the difference for Christmas. It was twenty dollars short. I'm blaming the thieves at the post office for that. <laughs> But she recognized that God was the giver of the gift, that even though it came through human form, God was uh, the one who provided for her. And that's what we we ought to do. We ought to recognize that God is the giver of all good things. And in doing that and reflecting on that, we want to uh, recognize the freedom, the freedom that we have over sin and and its oppression over our lives. You see, uh, grace is a gift that keeps on giving. It is a gift that gives throughout our life. We, we tend to think of grace as this thing that, that happens to us at the moment of justification or the moment we ask Jesus into our lives, the moment we commit ourselves to him, the moment we come to the cross, whatever phrase you use for that. Uh, that's, we, we tend to think that that's when grace happens. When in reality, grace has happened all through our lives to lead us up to that point of justification. And after that point, grace continues to happen to us as God tries to move us on towards perfection. That's a a phrase that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, used a lot. Moving on towards perfection. Talking about sanctification. After we come to Christ, after we commit ourselves to him, grace continues to shape us. It is a lifelong journey, and, and we use that language in the church. We talk about our, our journey of faith because we realize that, that it's not like we're over here on this side, and God's over here, and then just like that, we jump over here, and then that's it. We know that there's a journey, and we go, we journey to heaven. We journey towards God. We journey towards perfection through the grace that is offered to us through Jesus Christ. Now the reason Jesus can can offer us that bridge, the reason Jesus can close that gap for us is because he was both fully human and fully divine. It says, as Paul says here, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned the sin in the flesh. You see, Jesus was born of God. He was, he was fully divine, but yet he became fully human, and that's why we have, he can bridge that gap. He's the only one who can bridge the gap between where we started and where we're going. Now, every Sunday here in this church, we say the, the Apostles' Creed, but there's another creed that is uh, that is old, it's, it goes back to the 4th century, uh, historical creed used by the church called the Nicene Creed, and some churches still uh, cite this every week, and it's in your hymnal. Uh, but in the Nicene Creed, it says that we believe in Jesus, who is light of light, very God of very God. He's begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, and by whom all things were made. And then it says that Jesus came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. That is the confession that we believe Jesus Christ is fully divine and fully human and that is why we have that bridge why us standing over here on the human side can come to God who is fully divine now it's, it's a head scratcher because we say how can a person even if he is the son of God how can he be both fully God and fully man that doesn't really make much sense and, and it's something that is a mystery it's something that we'll never fully understand but the best analogy I heard from it was actually from a, a teaching assistant that I had at Emory a couple years ago, who phrased it like this. I thought this was a wonderful analogy. He said, if you have a piece of bread with peanut butter on it, and you have another piece of bread with jelly on it, they're two separate things. One's peanut butter, one's jelly. But you put them together, and you don't just put them together, but you mash them together like this. And once you do that, you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that cannot be separated. Because if you pull it apart, there's going to be jelly on both sides, there's going to be peanut butter on both sides. So what you have is one thing that is it's it's got all the jelly and it's got all the peanut butter. And so when we talk about Jesus, it's the same thing. He's fully human and he's fully divine and he's in the person of Christ and it can't be separated. And it's because of that, because of that miracle, we have the bridge where we can go from over here, where we've been slaves to sin and slaves to the flesh, to over here where God is, who is holy and who is perfect. But before that, before we get to that point, through Jesus Christ, we are in bondage. And I know last week I sh- sort of shied away from the analogy of, of being slaves. I, I used employed. I said uh, we're employed by God. But this week I want us to revisit the idea of slavery, because that's what Paul is bringing up here. He says you are in bondage to the flesh and to the things of the flesh. And there's no other way to put it. Before we are released, before we are freed, we are in bondage. We are in bondage to the world, to all of its fleshly perils, and, and, and there is no escaping it unless we escape it through Jesus Christ. Richard Foster wrote a book a number of years ago called Money, Sex, and Power. And he talks about how without Christ we are, we are in some form slaves to money, sex, and power. And it may be that we try to dominate others with one of those or we try to attain more of one of those. Or maybe we, we just submit to others who dominate us with those. But either way, we're slaves to it. To the, to the system of money, sex, and power. We, we are a slave to that system because we are living fully in the flesh without Jesus Christ. And even if, if you're like, well, I don't like money and, and I don't need power and, 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 and you just stay away from all of that stuff, but you don't have Jesus, you are still placing yourselves in submission to the system that is there, the system of the flesh, And people who are concerned about the future of of our nation, the future of the world, we need to be concerned. But we need to also be hopeful and we need to expect and wait for Jesus Christ to deliver us because we have that hope in Jesus. And if we don't have that hope, then we are slaves to our fear. We are slaves to to the power of men and, and women who lord it over us. But with Jesus, we know that there is something more. There is something much more than the fleshly constructs, the law of the flesh, and all the things that will bind us, that will empty us, that will rob us of our joy. We have freedom from that in Jesus. But he's the only freedom. It's just like the, uh, the, the cup analogy that I gave with, with the kids. There is air in the cup. The only way to get the air out is to pour water in. If we are slaves to the flesh, to the cravings of the flesh, to the systems of of the fleshly world around us, the only way to find freedom with that, or freedom from that, is to let Jesus Christ come flooding in and replace it. We use the term asking Jesus into our hearts, and I know that sort of gives us a mental picture, but, but it's fitting, because what we're doing, if we allow him in, is the other stuff doesn't have room. And Paul talks about the, G- the Jesus dwelling in us, the Spirit dwelling in us, the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. And before Jesus left his, his disciples, he said, I'm going to give you a helper. He was talking about his Holy Spirit. And it indwells us. And if it indwells us, we, we aren't slaves to anything else. And I'll tell you why. Not in Romans But elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that are born in us when we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. When we live and move and exist in the Spirit and we walk in the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are born in us. We have joy, we have peace, self-control, love, patience, kindness, and goodness. And anything that you are struggling with, one of those things can free you from it. What, is it. what is it that we are struggling with? What is it that is in your life that you don't really feel freedom from? Are you dealing with depression? Because if so, the cure for depression is joy, which is found by living your life in the Spirit of Christ. Do you experience anxiety and worry If so, then the the cure for that is peace, which is a fruit of the Spirit, from living in the Spirit. Do you experience addiction? If you experience addiction of any kind, self-control is the cure. And we can only find that that pure self-control through living in the Spirit. We can't do it on our own. We can't can't try to control ourselves. It's only walking in the Spirit that's going to give us that supernatural form of self-control to free us from addictions. If it's prejudice, if it's anger, if it's if it's maliciousness that we're dealing with, love overcomes it. If it's our temper, self-control overcomes it. If it's apathy, kindness overcomes it. If it's lust, goodness overcomes it. Anything that you struggle with, anything that you still feel oppressed by, bound by, living and walking in the Spirit will give you all the power you need to overcome it. So why do we have these things? Why do we struggle with this? Well, first of all, it's because nobody's perfect. Even after we've been justified, we still aren't fully perfect. That's why we call our faith journey a journey. Because there's going to be times where we we don't measure up. There's going to be times where we do fall back. But I've got good news for that. Paul opens up. This chapter by saying there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In other words, even though you're not perfect, even though you're going to stumble, you're going to fall here and there. If you are actively, diligently living in the spirit, if you are allowing the spirit of Christ to control you, to work in you, to move you, to shape you, to change you and to keep moving you on towards perfection, there is no condemnation. Because you are living into that grace that God is pouring out on you, day by day. Now, the other problem that we have, uh, the reason why we struggle with things, even though we've already been set free from them, is because we don't always realize we've been set free. They say that, that eating disorders uh, happen to people who, who are unable to see themselves how they really are. People who have this one image in their mind of what they look like when in reality they, they don't look like that. And so it creates sort of this obsessive behaviour. And it's the same way with us spiritually. We we have problems seeing us the way Jesus sees us, the way God sees us. We have problems with with we have difficulty seeing us as people who have already been set free. It's like a a dog who has been chained to a tree his whole life. And then someone comes along and sets him free. But the dog is so used to being there, chained to the tree, that he never moves. He just continues to lay there by the tree. We do that. We're all guilty of that at some point, I think. Jesus Christ gives us the freedom from, from whatever sin longs to dominate us. Whatever that sin is that dominates us, he gives us freedom. But sometimes we don't even recognize it. John Wesley said we're moving on towards perfection. It means we're not perfect yet. But if we are living and moving and and finding our being in the spirit of Christ, there's no condemnation. And we will continue that journey towards holiness because of the grace that he has given us. As we leave this morning, I I want us all to to ask ourselves, what is it that, that we struggle with? What is it that we are struggling to find freedom from? Is our struggle an indication that maybe we're not walking in the Spirit like we should? Or are we failing to simply recognize ourselves as being free? Are we failing to recognize the freedom that Christ gives us every day and the power that he gives us to overcome all that fleshly stuff? Last week, I talked about the the logo for the United Methodist Church and the flame represents the Holy Spirit and it burning in our lives. And I asked you, how, how bright is that flame burning? I want to ask you the same thing again this week. Is it a little flicker? Is it an ember? Is it a flame that kind of comes in and out, or is it a fire? How is the Spirit with you? How is your life in the Spirit? We are still in the season after Pentecost. The banner still hangs up over here. Fan the flame. The Holy Spirit longs to burn brightly in us. It longs to to do away with everything else that tries to bind us and shackle us. The Holy Spirit is a gift given to us so that we can find perfect freedom. Let us claim it. Let us live in it. And Let us move on together towards perfection. Instead of uh, closing with a prayer this morning, I, I want us to uh, recite the Nicene Creed together. If you pick up your hymnal... It is on page 880. Some of you may be familiar with this and some of you maybe not. But it's a wonderful confession that that we can share in together. On page 880, I ask that you just read it along with me. We believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic Church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Jesus Christ, true God of true God, and his Holy Spirit, which indwells among us, it indwells us, it dwells among us, and it guides us. As we move on towards perfection. This is what we believe as a church. This is what we confess. And it's my prayer that we live into it. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 370, Victory in Jesus. If you've made a decision of any type today, I encourage you and invite you to come forward as we sing hymn number 370. Please stand if you are able.